Our reading for today comes from Revelations chapter 2, verses 17. Listen now to the word of the Lord. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. So I wanted to introduce our speaker for today, um, Reverend Joe Chu. Um, He is currently the pastor of Christ Community Church, which is up in Bergen County, and their service is actually this afternoon, so he's going to, he's here with us this morning, and then we'll be leaving quickly right after for his service. But he's our speaker, not only for this week, but next week as well. Um, We've known Joe since, gosh, a long time. Sam and Joe, I think, knew each other from high school, um, and each other's weddings, and we've had the privilege of being part of his church in New York many, many years ago. Um, and then also just having him as a good friend. So it's exciting to have him join us today. So please welcome Pastor Joe Chu. Uh, Thanks so much for having me today and next Sunday as well. Uh, Some of you asked me about my church. I'll just let you know real quickly. A handful of families uh, started meeting in my home last year, and we were praying and thinking, and then um, we kind of took the risk and the baby steps, and we officially planted a church. Our grand opening service was in December, and actually Sam and Yuna came up to lead worship for us, because we didn't even have a worship leader back then, and uh, we're meeting in Fort Lee, if you could just remember us in your prayers, and I have a great respect for your church, your ministry. Reading the website was fun, how everything happened in increments of five years. Very unique history. And I have a great uh, respect for Pastor David Choi uh, and his family. So I'm going to ask you the questions from the catechism. What are the sacraments or ordinances? Okay. So skip those or keep... All right, well, if you didn't know, the answer is (laughs) baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the last question is, what is baptism? And the answer is, baptism is the washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm sure many of you remember reading Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14, which describes baptism. And the title for that passage in many uh, Bibles is, as it summarizes baptism, the title is Dying and Rising with Christ. Dying and Rising with Christ. And many of you have had Bible studies and you remember that when you're submersed, which um, Presbyterian Church doesn't do that often. I'm a Presbyterian minister. We don't do it often. It represents, going into the water represents that you're dying with Christ and coming out of the water represents that you are being risen with Christ. So you're not going to answer out loud, but my question to you this morning 
is have you been baptized? And my follow-up question, questions is have you died? And have you been risen? And if your answer is yes, the follow-up question is what did you die to and what have you risen to? Just out of curiosity, if you're college age, can you raise your hands? I think, okay, you put it, put it down, put it down. I just want to know who I'm talking to. All right. Uh, for the rest of you who are middle-aged, like myself, um, I think it's a good question to ask at the midway point. What did you die to? And what have you risen to? Uh, I asked my dad which Joseph I was named after. And he said, are you stupid? (laughs) He said, you know, obviously Old Testament. What did New Testament Joseph do? Like, New Testament Joseph gets no love. Um... But so I asked, you know, New Old Testament Joseph, and um, Old Testament Joseph lived a very hard and brutal, brutal life. Uh, if you remember, at the age of 17, his brothers plotted to kill him. Then they sold him as a slave. They tricked their father Jacob into believing that he was devoured by a wild animal so that Jacob would spend no energy trying to find him and reconnect with him. His boss, his master, was Potiphar. And if you study the passages, Potiphar became like a father figure to Joseph. And Potiphar put him in charge of his home. But Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to be intimate with her. If you read and study the passage, Potiphar probably knew his wife was lying And he didn't kill him, but he was forced to throw Joseph into prison. Joseph works hard, gets in charge of the whole prison. The pharaoh, who's in charge of the land, had a cupbearer in prison. Joseph helped that cupbearer by interpreting a dream. And his only request was, when you are restored to your position next to the king, my only request is, since I helped you, Remember me and tell the king about me and get me out of this dungeon. But the cupbearer totally forgets and Joseph was forgotten by the cupbearer just like he was forgotten by everyone else in his life. He perseveres, he gets out of prison. And then he rises to power as the second in command in all of Egypt. He gets married and he has children. I know the scripture was read, which we're going to go back to the main scripture, but you don't have to turn here. I'm just going to read Genesis 41, 50 to 52. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Joseph only had one wife. 
And he didn't have many other children with many other ladies. Unlike many powerful men in the Bible, he was monogamous. And he names his first son Manasseh. Do you know what Manasseh means in Hebrew? Um, It means to forget. So for the rest of his life, when people ask him, what's your son's name? He he could say, I forgot. (laughs) And they'd be like, what? (laughs) He goes, yeah, his name is, um, I forgot. Literally, he named his son to forget. His life was so painful that when he had a reset button, he got married, he got out of prison, he had his first child, he was so happy, he said, God has manassed me. God enabled me to forget my pain, my hurt, my bitterness, my past. His life was so painful that to forget was a blessing. And it's after he forgot that he could name his second child Ephraim, which means twice blessed. God has blessed me with a double portion. He blessed me twice, but he couldn't get blessed until he first forgot. It was too painful. It was too brutal. Look at Joseph's life. He never sought vengeance on his brothers, on Potiphar, on Potiphar's wife, on the cupbearer. He left the past in the past. And that's exactly what we need to do. Have you been baptized? Have you died? What did you die to? We need to die to our past, our pain, our bitterness, our anger, and very importantly, we need to die to our sin, our shame, and our guilt. Leave it all behind. Manasseh means to forget. You need to be Manasseh, and you need to be Ephraimed. Can you kindly say to your neighbor, I've been Manasseh? And can you kindly say to your neighbor, I've been Ephraimed? I've been Ephraimed. Your BC days, you know, people call that their before Christ days. Your BC days should be different from who you are today. It should be. You should have died to something. Your unregenerate self should be different from the sanctified version of you. Who you were in the past should be different from who you are today and who you will be in the future. That's what you need to die to. And now I want to talk about what you need to be risen to. I'll just repeat the scripture reading, which was Revelation 2.17. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna 
And I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Does anyone own the Life Application Bible in their household? Does anyone own the NIV Study Bible in their household? Okay. I, I love both of those. I don't know if it's outdated now that the internet's around, but I love both of those resources. Sometimes I'll read like hours worth of commentaries, and then I'll read the life application notes, and I'll be like, oh my goodness, it's all right there in like two minutes. <laughs> it's a great summary. And this is what it said. The stones are significant because each will bear the new name of every person who truly believes in Christ. There are the evidence, they are the evidence that a person has been accepted by God and declared worthy to receive eternal life. A person's name represented his or her character. God will give us new names and new hearts. If you are a Christian, God will give you a new name, a new identity. You know, I often dream that when I meet God face to face in glory, he's going to say, your real name is Kalabagashakadlash. Like something heavenly, right? <laughs> like, I don't know what that name is, but do you ever wonder what your name is going to be? Uh, I heard an analogy of the sponge. Uh, here's the analogy. Imagine you buy four brand new sponges. And in your house, you put one in the kitchen, one in the bathroom, one in the baby's room, and one in the garage. And then, after many months, when the sponge is all used up and spent, it's time to stop using the sponges, you can tell exactly where each sponge was used by its essence. If you simply squeeze it out, smell it, look at it, feel it, you can tell exactly where each sponge was used. At the end of our lives, we will stand before God in judgment. And he can tell exactly where we were, what we did, and how we were used by simply squeezing us out and discovering our essence. And I believe that's going to have a lot to do with your true name and identity. It's all about who you were, what you did, and it's about your essence. Back in the 1990s, that was when uh, the NBA basketball was at its peak with Michael Jordan. And I remember one basketball commercial, there was this guy like playing street basketball, doing the amazing dunks. And then he comes up to the camera and he says, if you tore open my chest, I swear you'd find a basketball. <laughs> In other words, if, if we tore open, if God tore open your chest, what would he find? What do you spend all your time doing? What do you spend all your time thinking about? 
daydreaming about all those hours online. What are you looking at? I'm, I'm embarrassed of it too. But what is in our hearts? What, if we tore open our chests, what would be there? What is our essence? I don't know what my new name will be, but I want to share with you a, a part of my journey in discovering my identity and my essence. Uh, I like being a guest speaker because um, I could give messages that are more testimonial, which means um, I don't have to study as much and prepare as much. Um, So when I talk highly about myself, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you a story that's true. So... um, I was in 11th grade, and uh, my friends went to a church in, it's in Old Japan, but it used to be in Norwood, called Palisades Church. Some of you have some connections there. And they said, hey, come to our winter retreat. And I was in 11th grade. We went to the Pocono Motor Lodge, which was the only Korean retreat center back then. And they served the soup in the morning. It was awesome. And... um, it was like the biggest youth group I ever saw. Um, I came from a normal-sized church, and you know, this youth group was like probably 100 students. And I remember um, back then we didn't enforce the curfew, so it was late at night. And since I was from a different church, I knew different praise songs from what everyone else knew. So I was like teaching them some of the cool praise songs that I knew, but they didn't know. And then it was like a gigantic circle, like everyone just was just learning these new praise songs. And um, the pastors went to sleep, and then one of the last leader, his name was Tim, he wanted to go to sleep, he was so tired, and he came up to me, and he said, hey Joe, I'm really tired, I'm going to go to sleep. All the pastors and leaders went to sleep, and he said, Joe, because you're a leader, do me a favor and just make sure everything stays focused on God and nothing bad happens. It doesn't seem like a big deal. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, no problem. And then I thought in my mind, no one ever called me a leader. I mean, this was like a life-changing event for me. Like, I don't know, it just seemed like a normal conversation, but that one conversation, like, turned on the light and it kind of changed my life. I was the youngest child of three. I was always the youngest. I never thought of myself as a leader. And something was triggered in me that said, you know what? I am a leader. And I want to be a leader in the church. And then later in life, I said, I want to be a leader even outside of the church. And I've been spending the rest of my life figuring out what that means. You know, Sam and I, we, um, we were, went to college together and um, uh, we were both on the worship team for our uh, ministry. And um, I spent a lot of my life, uh, a lot of my life at worship team practice. Like if I could log in the number of hours in my life at worship team, it was a lot. Like I spent a lot of my life with worship teams and leading worship. And, um, you know, when you're a worship leader, 
you feel vulnerable because there's always people hating, right? Like music is so near and dear to everybody's heart. Like haters everywhere. Like you know, you know, drinking their haterade. What's up? Okay. Anyway, so like, um, it's like you know, no matter what you do, you just can't make everybody happy. You know, someone's gonna hate your voice, hate the way you look, hate the way you say hello, just hate everything about you. It's just part of if you want to lead worship, people are gonna hate you. It's just a fact of life. They're thinking, I, I could sing better than him. I could play better than I know my, my friend is better than him. It's just, part, it's just a fact of life. And I remember in cert, certain places, um, the hate gets even greater. You know, the bigger the stage, the more the hate. And the more your insecurities come out. And I remember, um, you know, God's comfort and conviction should be enough. But God sent someone in my life to encourage me and to give me confidence and uh, Sam was there we were on the worship team in college and it was Friday night worship and I got I had the privilege of leading that night and there was a man who's a he's a pastor now in Wheaton his name is Stuart Rook and he gave a sermon on encouragement and he was saying <clears throat> you know in life you need to lift people up you need to instill courage in people you need to be a blessing to people, and he's preaching, and he's preaching, and he's sharing these stories, and it was after we had worship, and in the middle of his sermons, he would interrupt himself, and he'd say, Joe, you have the gift of leading worship. And then he'd go back to preaching, and he's telling his stories, and he's like, you're just this dynamic person, and like, telling us about encouragement, and he'd go, Joe, You have the gift of leading people into the presence of God. Then you go back to preaching, and he did this like four or five times, and I think my face was literally red, and I think my body temperature went up like 10 degrees, and I literally felt like running out of the room. It was really embarrassing. And we got back to uh, my apartment and my roommate said to me, hey, Joe, that must have felt pretty good, huh? And I, I was still embarrassed. I was like, yeah, I guess so. I was probably more like embarrassed than like encouraged. But years later, when I was doubting myself, when people were saying not so kind things about me, those words really helped me to say, you know what? I don't sing well. I'm not Andrea Bocelli. I'm not, um, what's his, who are all those great singers? <laughs> but God has called me to lead worship and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be faithful to it. You know, as a preacher, I've had many insecurities. Um, my dad is turning 80 in March and he keeps telling me, wow, Joel Osteen is special. He keeps saying, wow. He goes, I want to go to Houston and see Joel Osteen in person. Wow. And, you know, I've had many insecurities. Um, I think it's the most unfair thing when people complain, compare normal pastors to Tim Keller. Stop doing it. <laughs> it's like, 
he's Tim Keller. You know, um, I've had many insecurities. Um, Yeah, I've received a lot of hate. And, you know, God's conviction should be enough. But, um, you know, when I was in seminary, preaching class was very stressful back then. Like, back then, the video camera was so huge. So, like, they put this huge video camera, like, right in front of your face. And then they have this critique sheets for like a class of 15 and everyone's critiquing you, giving you 1 to 10 on everything. And then after the sermon, the, 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 the teacher critiques you and sometimes it's brutal. It's very nerve-wracking. Sometimes the professors, and some of these were like famous professors, preachers who are on the radio nationwide, and some of them were not kind. And some of them would say, um, brother, Perhaps you have a different calling. (laughs) Perhaps preaching the word of God is not your calling. And these grown men would just be holding in their tears. And I've known grown men who left preaching class, who skipped class for the rest of the day, just roaming around campus like a zombie thinking, oh my goodness, why did I leave my job and come to one of the most expensive seminaries? <laughs> and what am I doing here? What, what's going on? It was very nerve-wracking. And I remember my first year preaching class, um, my professor was David Larson, total package, brilliant, funny, entrepreneurial, just this amazing Christian leader. And I was coming to the end of my 25-minute sermon uh, for preaching class. And before I could finish, he's this huge guy. He's like really tall, big, large, larger-than-life person, figuratively and literally. And before I could finish my sermon, Dr. Larson stands up from the back row, Joseph! You have the gift of preaching. Joseph, you are a preacher. Joseph, you are not difficult to listen to. I was like, what? <laughs> and everyone is like, what? What's going on here? Like, everyone's like, what? Oh, calm down, Dr. Larson. And you know what? I've been preaching for many years, and I've had ups and downs in life. I've had ups and downs in ministry. And God's conviction should be enough. But you know what? Sometimes I remember the word that Dr. Larson gave me back when I was in my 20s. And it encourages me. It instills courage in me when I need it. If you want to persevere as a preacher, you need to be confident in your calling and in your identity. Actually, if you want to do anything meaningful in life, you need to be confident in your identity and in your calling. So what has God called you to do? Who has God called you to be? Cassius Clay was born in Louisville, Kentucky in 1942. And he found himself. In 1964, he joined 
the nation of Islam, which was called the Black Muslims at the time, and he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. I'm not Muslim, I'm Christian. We live in a fallen world. If, if we lived in a perfect, redeemed world, he would have converted to evangelical Christianity. But I think this was more about his identity as an African-American. In 1967, he was getting ready to fight Ernie Terrell in Houston, and Terrell made him so angry. In their pre-fight interviews, Terrell said, your name is not Muhammad Ali. He said, your name is Cassius Clay. And Ali got so mad, he said, Cassius Clay is my slave name. He said, my God-given name is Muhammad Ali. Do not call me Cassius Clay. And Terrell disrespected him. He said, no, you're Cassius Clay. And this fight went down in history because Ali purposefully didn't knock him out, kept Terrell on his feet for 15 rounds, and literally rearranged his face. After the fight, Tex Mall wrote in the papers, it was a wonderful demonstration of boxing skill and a barbarous display of cruelty. And many of you know, when Ali was fighting Terrell and literally rearranging his face, what did he say to him? He said, what's my name? He said, what's my name, Uncle Tom? What's my name? And we still hear that phrase today. Howard Cosell asked him, why were you so cruel to this man? And Ali said, he refused to acknowledge my name. What about you? What's your name? What's your essence, your purpose, your mission? In other words, what have you risen to? If you died and rose with Christ, what did you die to? And what have you risen to? Um, We're going to have a time of communion, and uh, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. Let's recite the Apostles' Creed together, um, sitting. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Uh, I want to remind you that communion is for Christians who have the assurance of salvation. It's a reminder that we're all sinners, that we need to come and receive his forgiveness and his grace again. And it's a way to receive in a tangible way uh, his mercy and his forgiveness. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. saying, this is my body, broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he poured it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a moment, uh, we